Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the DC comics that were released on May 17th, 2017. So if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, read them, come back to us. Uh, We're going to spoil some stuff, so be aware of that. And um, we're going to get to all that in just a minute. But first, we're going to start with some news. We have a bunch of news items to discuss this week. Uh, The biggest one, though is the announcement of Doomsday Clock, a four-issue miniseries written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. Oh, that... I actually heard it was... I had seen that it was longer than that. I thought it was four parts, somebody said. Jeff Johns tweeted that it would be somewhere between more than... Uh, I think he said more than six, six 12, but less than 13. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I got that. Maybe it's a four-month event? Uh, I don't know about that either. I don't... I feel like the number four was around this one. Anyway, who cares? It's a miniseries. It deals with um, Dr. Manhattan, and specifically Dr. Manhattan and Superman, which is a different pairing than I think many of us thought about. But um, let's just jump right into this. Initially, Vince, you said this was an embarrassing decision for DC <laughs> in our internal group text. Oh, God. Uh, do you stand by that statement? Embarrassing? Um, I don't know. I was, I was really mad about it. (laughs) What, what about it made you mad? I just think, see, this is not something I'm going to simply be able to distill down. So I don't know how long you want this discussion to go, but like, I just think that we've, we've kind of talked about it before. I, I like Watchmen. It's not the end all be all to me. But it is like this iconic piece of work, and rightfully so. It's one of the most literary superhero comics that there's ever been, and its execution is unparalleled. All that stuff. It deserves a spot on Time Magazine's whatever best books of best novels of the whatever 20th the century. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just feel like if you enjoy that and you enjoy it for the reasons that it's good. And I, I'm I'm not trying to like be judgy or judge anyone, but I just I'm I'm trying to understand. I don't understand why you would even want this. I don't understand if if you like Watchmen and and you understand what it's about and you read through the thing. I mean, it's pretty dense. It's incredibly dense. If you got through all that and you call yourself a fan, I, help me understand why you want to see him face off against Superman. And I don't, I don't even mean just in a literal physical confrontation. I mean just why do you want them even at the table together? To me, it doesn't make – it's it's almost it's – it's a step beyond Wildstorm. When, I was, when Wildstorm came in with the New 52, I was initially against that too because those characters are analogs of superhero characters that existed in the DC universe. So why do you want them at the same table? You know, it's not only is it redundant, but Wildstorm is commenting on, you know, superheroes that have been around for decades, and now they're playing in the same playground. It doesn't make any sense, you know? We've gotten some good books out of it, like Midnighter, but, like, to me, just conceptually, this whole thing is... An embarrassment is strong, (laughs) but, like... I'm going to interrupt you for a second here, though, okay? Yeah. And, Zach, feel free to interrupt us at any time. 
Okay, um, I have I have a take, but let, let me just say this first. Okay, when DC Universe Rebirth number one came out a year ago, I told you guys that the Watchmen thing pissed me off so much I almost decided it was going to be time for me to stop reading DC comics. Oh, I was that yeah. upset about it, and you were like, you know, no, it's going to be, you know, it's it's whatever. We we don't even know what it is yet. How has that? How has that guy? changed into this guy <laughs> because now i feel like we know what it is <laughs> you know it's something i've been trying to run from for a year now and and I'll, hey i'll admit this i'll admit this um at least it's not batman no well <laughs> yes but um i'll i'll admit that um Every time I've every time they've done one of these things, whether it's DC Universe Rebirth, the issue itself, or this button crossover, which we'll talk about the finale of today, um, every time one of them's come around, I've been surprised at how much I've liked it. So, so don't get me wrong; I'm going to go into this with a completely open mind. I that's that that's my online promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm totally ready to enjoy this. Okay. But just, you know, waking up and seeing that ticking clock with the Superman symbol on it just really made me upset that morning. <laughs> it was like somebody shit in my cereal. <laughs> I appreciate the Kevin Smith reference. Um, Zach. Bong. Yeah. Uh, what, was, what was your initial reaction to this? Um, my, my first, my initial reaction was... Oh, cool! New Jeff Johns comics. Um, just because I don't think no, I don't think I'll ever be able to like not be like psychologically primed to be excited about a Jeff Johns comic. It's just like too ingrained in me. Um, but uh, and then plus Gary Frank too. Um, but but aside from that, so like yeah, my initial so that there was that, but then there was also like. You know, this whole time we've been hoping for the, you know, maybe we'll never actually see a Watchmen character. Maybe it'll be just, like, philosophical, and it's just, like, the idea of Watchmen, and we'll never see it. And then this kind of, like, you know, totally put the kibosh on that. It's like, yeah, we're definitely going to see Dr. Manhattan, at least. Um, so that, that like, I was bummed about that. Maybe not to, like, the extent of, like, Vince's visceral reaction, <laughs> um, but, but I was bummed about it. But then, like, I actually, like, went and read the, the Blaster interview um that i think was like the the like exclusive did, yeah. did you guys read that with, like, yes. the, the like 12 point list and um it made me if not optimistic like less worried um i guess about it made me like think that maybe this won't just be like a dumb superhero brawl event just with like some of the things that he was saying and like i mean I, it was a little eye rolly at times when i was like oh we had the story once the trump election happened and i'm yeah. like i mean that's like a little okay whatever but i mean <laughs> at the same time i thought about it and I'm like well okay yeah i mean everything sucks right now so let's talk about how everything sucking interacts with like our, our idealistic view of everything because i mean that's like pretty much you know like superman is the ideal and dr manhattan is like everything sucks 
Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, part of me is still holding on to, like, I, I like, as, as DC, like, throw, slowly unravels this thread, I'm, like, holding on to just, like, the, the like, smallest of hopes. Like, I'm just picking up the scraps that, like, maybe this will be something, um, uh, something not, not, like traditional superhero affair like i would be okay if this was like a really philosophical thing if like there were you know if, like a whole issue of just like superman and dr manhattan just like talking about things you know yeah. um like watchman style you know like not it doesn't <coughs> have to be this big thing um and you know just the fact that there there aren't any tie-ins there's no this isn't a Watchmen sequel, or at least that's what they say. Um, I don't know. Like, I think maybe it could be something if <sighs> I mean, it's not going to be Watchmen, but it could be something worthwhile. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that interview because you're right. Um, even for like a major skeptic, you know, like. <sighs> somebody who hates this idea like like myself um a lot of what johns was saying he was saying the right things in yeah. that in that yes. interview to be sure and now, so i'm i'm willing to go into this with an open mind um i'm not just gonna start from a default position of hate once we get that issue in our hands so yeah i i, I don't want to give off the impression that i like this idea by the way <laughs> I, I think it's a pretty terrible idea uh, i just don't like you know Again, um, loyal listeners will remember that when we were discussing this last time, I had said there's no way in hell we're not going to see this exact event, essentially. You guys were hoping for the philosophical side, and I said, no, like, DC has one shot at this to do, like, there's only one opportunity to bring them in, to bring the Watchmen characters into contact with the DC characters. It's a a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and they're not going to waste it on half-assed version of it so i've been expecting this event for a while and so because of that i think it went down smoother for me than it did for you guys um but i still think it's a bad idea for a lot of reasons and i kind of boiled down my thoughts about this when i was talking with a friend of the show multiversity editor emeritus walter richardson i was saying how there's really only two logical ways for this to end the one way for it, and, and neither one is satisfying. The first one is that Superman is right and kind of convinces Dr. Manhattan that there is something beyond his sort of cold pragmatism. And I think that's incredibly not true to who Dr. Manhattan is to admit to that. Or the converse happens and Superman <laughs> admits that the world is shit. And that's not going to happen. So if it's not one of those two endings, I don't think it's going to be a satisfying ending, nor do I think those are satisfying endings. Yeah. So essentially, I don't, I don't see how this is going to wrap up, is, is my, I guess, my, uh, my biggest question about it. <clears throat> so isn't that, isn't that kind of what we talked about last time when we were hashing this out, where, um, where we talked about, you know, well, the, the, 
the thing that they would want to do for DC, if if the premise of DC Rebirth is right, then you're throwing Watchmen under the bus, and you're going to do it in a very confrontational way if you're going to bring them together in a physical fashion like this. And if you do that, you're going to piss off Watchmen people, right? Right. But it, but if you don't do that and you do the opposite, then Rebirth was for naught. Like all of this, and and Jeff Johns said in this interview that he wants to reaffirm Rebirth with this. Right. So you assume that's now. This is really speculative. You assume that Superman is going to end up being right about things, and you also assume that Doctor Manhattan is not going to be defeated in some traditional fashion. You know. So I feel like this is just going to end with them like teaming up against some greater threat, whether it's psychological, physical, philosophical, whatever, and basically like shaking hands at the end and going on their merry way or whatever. I, I, and, and, and all of that seems incredibly lame to me. So I hope whatever Johns has planned and he's the writer, I'm not, I'm no writer. Um, I just hope I hope he's thinking outside the box in a way that the three of us can't right now. Because you're right, I don't see any way that this is satisfying, you know, in any number of scenarios you can imagine. What what Walt had said was that the way he sees it wrapping up is essentially saying that the way to get around all this is to have Superman say like you know. Where you come from, everything is bleak and predetermined. But where I come from, hope wins the day. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're establishing... First of all, I I think there's as close to 50-50 odds as you can get that the premise is going to be that Dr. Manhattan created this universe. That this is where he went at the end of Watchmen. He went to create, and he's created... And that's what this is. Right. Um, and if that's the case, the Superman can't say your rules don't apply here because his rules are there. You know, it's just, it doesn't really work that way. Um, yeah. But, <clears throat> excuse me, where I, a scene that I, I can't help but, but picture in my head, and it's so cheesy and lame, but still very true to Superman, as I could see there being like a confrontation where Superman is just getting his ass handed to him. And Dr. Manhattan essentially says like, give up, you know how this ends. And Superman basically says never. Yeah. That, that's good. That has to happen, right? Like Dr. Manhattan is this fatalist. Everything is predetermined. And Superman. He's seen the ending. Yeah. Right. And Superman is going to say like, I know I don't stop. That has to happen, and that's a very that's true to both characters. But again, I don't think that's satisfying. I just don't see how these characters interacting makes for a yeah, satisfying comic. I, I well, the th- interesting thing, I, at least to me, like whenever I think about how this event is going to play out, it always like my mind always goes to Final Crisis, and lots like, of whistling, lots of whistling. Like I mean. Anytime I try to play it out, my mind crafts a story that is eerily similar to Final Crisis. Uh, uh-huh. uh, because that dealt with like a lot of the same themes, honestly. Um, you know, and especially like in the, I mean, the, the ideas of like what like Superman stands for and hope in like the Beyond one shots, you know, that ends with that like really awesome to be continued tombstone. Um, and like, 
just just like what the monitors represented, what dark side represents, what whatever uh, that one guy who tattoo uh, man. No, not tattoo man. <laughs> the the real villain. I always forget his name. Mandrak. Yeah. Or man Mandar. I don't remember the vampire. Um, which I'm really not sure what he represented. He would. I'd have to if I really like sat and thought about it. I could probably, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this, this just, this feels like a lot of the same, potentially like it could tread some similar ground in just in terms with like Superman's part in it. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to whistle, uh, Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. So, So can I, can I ask you guys a question? That sure. I've been wanting to ask you for a while, actually, because it's it's kind of a philosophical thing for the DC three to think about, and um, and I'm interested in both of your answers. But um, uh, I hope nobody gets mad at me for saying this. But um, nobody being the three of us, or no, none of our no, listeners? nobody on nobody hashtag online, okay, um, <laughs> or who who listens oh, to the show, because I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm really not. I'm. This is more from a like I just purely don't understand i'm just a caveman your ways are strange to me um, <laughs> uh but like you melt so my heart with every phil hartman reference <laughs> um <laughs> what's the uh the, the one where he eats the bowl of fiber or cereal? <laughs> colon blow colon blow or super colon blow yeah um no uh <laughs> <laughs> that's how this Watchmen thing ends. Yeah. Uh, no. Um. Uh. No. So. So the Doomsday Clock news hit on sort of Mother's Day night, and then bleeding into Monday morning. And um. Immediately, I started reading comments and message boards, Reddit, all this stuff, and. A lot of what I, not everybody, a lot of people get that, like, understand what's great about Watchmen or whatever. But I also saw, like, a frightening number of people debating, like, well, what do you think Superman's power level is versus Dr. Manhattan's power level? Who could beat who in, like, a fist fight or whatever? And I'm like, that's the embarrassing part to me. That, no, that sounds really judgy, but, like, but, like, do you do you really want that? Like, the, are you serious? Like, you read Watchmen, and you're wondering how Superman could beat Doctor Manhattan's power level. Like, that's the thing that you're thinking about. Is that an that's a question that you've actually had that you want the answer to? I I don't help me understand why that that's anything. And so my question here, the question that I've thought about for a while is, you know, we're in our twenties and thirties, right, Zach? You're twenty. Late twenties, twenty eight. Yeah. yeah, I just turned thirty. Brian, you're forty five. <laughs> um, I'll be thirty five in two weeks. Thirty five, thirty five, and so, like, I know the reason why we got into comics as kids. I think we've talked about a little bit about that at least. But why today, as grown ass men, do you guys? read comics why do you enjoy dc comics not comics in general but like superhero comics is it just because of you know like it can't just be because you enjoyed them as a youth and now you enjoy them you know in sort of a nostalgia i'm sure that plays into it but like 
what enjoyment do you get out of doing this every week? Because it's not like power levels of Dr. Manhattan, right? <laughs> like, I, well, I don't know if you have heard or know about it, but um, I'm part of this podcast for Multiverse City Comics called the DC3 Cast, and every week they make me read a lot of DC books that I don't <laughs> particularly care for, and then I have to talk about them. Um, so you've got the Iron Shackles. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, on it, I mean, so I mean, I say that jokingly. Realistically, if it weren't for this podcast, I wouldn't read. Probably, I would read maybe a tenth of the DC comics that I currently read. Um, and I guess the reason I would still be reading those is because, and I, and to like kind of answer your question, is that. Um, I, I, I guess I have some degree of investment in in these characters and, and maybe this is becoming, I guess, maybe less and less so, but a, a degree yeah. of um, investment in the people who are writing the stories. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's been, I, I would say, like, the the... the the, the creators who were driving my fandom when I like got like really into comics are, are you know kind of either like moving on to other things. They're not as as you know uh, as uh, prolific as they once were. And there have been like new people who have come around who have definitely you know kind of like filled that gap. But it, I think we've all kind of like expressed this to varying degrees at times. It's like you know there's that like golden age for you where you just wish you could go back to that. I think every comics fan, even the ones you're you're kind of like alluding to events, have that mentality. And a lot of times it's a it's an era that we would kind of like turn our noses up, roll our eyes, and like scoff, you know, while you know just be, we you know pretentiously. Um, but that's their that's their like time. And, and so this is this is like really long winded, but um, I you know there are people who say that like oh I read comics because like it you know the medium can do things that no other other medium can do, and that that's like a really good answer. I like that, but that's not it for me. I think it's more like the attachment to a it's like a nostalgia thing. B it's it's a it's a familiarity and an interest to like follow certain characters and properties, and then primarily it's you know being attached to certain creative talent and just following what they do. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, that's a really great answer. Um, I think those answers make sense. You know, I think, um, I think I would agree with a lot of that. Like I get, I get invested in creators too. And, and, and I enjoy creators getting these characters in their hands and, seeing where they can push them, you know? Like, I love being on Twitter and seeing Steve Orlando, like, getting really excited about some old comic he read, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want to see how that plays out in his work, and I support his work outside of DC as well. You know, I've liked all his creator-owned stuff. I think he's a super talented, one of the best writers um, up and coming that we've had in a while, and um, and so I, I, I get a thrill seeing his talent transferred to... Um, characters that are unabashedly cape comics you know um mm -hmm. and and that applies to you know josh williamson and and then and then i always like when you know jeff johns comes around and and people that are more from my my earlier era of comics um 
yeah, for me, it's become a lot more about the creative process behind the comics and then the product that you get in your hands afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, I love the marriage of art and color and pencils and inks and and design and cover art, cover design, trade dress, all that nerdy stuff, and then writing and the collaboration between writer and artist, which I think we try to t- – I think when comics are at their best, and this applies to any comic, but I think you see it – I think when you see it in Cape Comics, it's just so much more clear that like – this comic is doing something that 99% of Cape comics can't accomplish or, or don't even attempt, you know, when, when you get a death stroke or when you or, get a death stroke. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that it's fuels me. Yeah. Yeah. There is something. And I can, we'll let you talk in a minute, Brian, sure, <laughs> but, sure. but um, I just wanted off of that. There is something like uniquely special about a, a really good Cape comic like that, that is, different than you know an equal caliber or better creatively owned project to me like i love saga it's still one of my favorite creator of own comics you know even though it's several years in and i, I there's like another thing about creative own comics where like once you get past like three trades worth of material it kind of uh loses its luster a little bit but like i still love saga but there's something really special about a a saga like book within a, a big two property because it's it's transcending the the I don't want to say the the medium because it's not you know the like genre. all comics the genre yeah transcends the genre is, yeah exactly yeah Brian why do you read comics well. 10 out of 10, the costumes were good? Of course, of course. Uh, we, we had to get that joke in there somewhere, so thank you for taking the onus on that one. Um, so, as with many things in my life, this got me thinking about The Simpsons. When I was a young lad, uh, The Simpsons was my favorite show, so much so that my friends used to make fun of me because on Sunday nights... I would come home from doing whatever I was with my friends because my dad, my brother, and I would watch The Simpsons together. It was this, like, not only was it my favorite show, it was a thing my my, my family did together, and we still, whenever we're together, the three of us, we tend to quote The Simpsons all the time, and it was something that was very special, and I really loved it. And at some point, The Simpsons stopped being good. And I held on for a little bit, but then at some point I decided, I'm done with The Simpsons. Uh, we're recording this uh, the day after Soundgarden singer Chris Cornell killed himself. And Soundgarden is a band I loved when I was in middle school and high school. And then they broke up. And I, I very rarely go back and visit their stuff. Um, their new album I never even listened to, even though I, I own, I think, everything they did before it. You know, I, I wasn't... I felt that I had moved on with my tastes and I wasn't necessarily going to connect with that property again the only thing in my life besides star wars that i keep coming back to no matter how old i get are superhero comics there have been three or four times in my life when i've walked away from superhero comics completely and and i keep being drawn back and i can tell you certainly it is not for power levels and and stuff like that 
you know, part of it is is the creative aspect of it. Um, I, Vince, I, I thought you spoke very eloquently about sort of the way that all the pieces work together and how, you know, on a, on a book like exactly like Deathstroke, you just see like, in some ways, it, it's like watching the best team in what in insert sport here that year, right? You're watching this like people at the peak of their abilities doing work they couldn't do on their own. And I love that. Uh, part of it is a, uh, you know, perhaps a, a naive or simplistic or dumb, like uh belief that these stories mean something to me that, shitty Superman comics I read when I was five still, like, impact my brain somehow, that that I was at the right age to be hardwired by those stories in a way, and so part of it's that. The reason I specifically continue to read DC, and, and part of the reason that I've always read DC, I feel like, is just that I almost don't know life without DC comics for me. Uh, and that's that's the truth. Like, you know, I always say one of the first comics I ever bought was the Giffen De Mateus, Giff, um Maguire Justice League number one, you know? I, I was like f- three or four, and I would go with my dad every Saturday morning. He had, I probably told this story before, one of his friends is, is a, a tailor who was Italian from Italy, and the two of them would sit in this tailor shop and talk, I don't know, politics for the week, whatever, every Saturday morning. Gangster bring, stuff. Gangster stuff, yeah. He'd he'd bring him coffee, and I would sit in this Italian barber, Italian tailor shop that smelled like biscotti, and I would read a comic my dad bought me from the same place he bought the coffee from. And so, like, one of my earliest memories is Saturday mornings buying a comic book. Like, it's, it's, it's part of me in a way that almost nothing else is. Uh, I have memories of comics before I do, like, any sports... Again, except for Star Wars, any movie, any TV show, comics were always were always a part of my life. And so, uh, for me personally, it's like it, it's in my cells to a certain degree. But more than anything else, I love the idea that there that I, I'm that I'm picking up a story. And media res, you know, I'm in the middle. You know, I, I I haven't read every Superman comic. I haven't. I never will. There were Superman comics before I was born. There were Superman comics after I will die, hopefully. And, you know, it's part of this continuum of, of storytelling. And I find that there's something very pure and very joyful and very hopeful about the superhero genre. And that, taken on its own, it sounds silly. But when done well... To me, it transcends almost any other kind of medium. Um, you know, comics were my first love, but I think music is my like music is the thing that I think about more than anything else. I'm always kind of in the musical mindset, but when I get lost in a song, it's different than I get lost in a comic. They're just different. They're different endeavors, and there's something about getting lost in a DC comic that, to me, just feels like home. And that and that that's a bunch of sentiments. That's a bunch of sentimental bullshit. But that's uh, no, that's, that's kind of how I feel. You guys are, you guys are, are better fans than me. I was a, I was a no, no, no. 
Uh, no, no, no. You guys have the real memories. <laughs> you're you're the MVP, Zach. You've, but, uh, you've yeah. eclipsed me several times over. No, no. But something you said, Brian, though, that I mean, you know, I know we like need to move on to other stuff. But something you said made me think of something um, that I didn't mention about how you know picking up in media res and not having read everything. Um, one thing that I do think is really special about Cape Comics is that even if you aren't a you know, a, an, a creator on a project. If you're not actively shaping these things, because of the, because of the way that the, the the medium is kind of developed in the genre, you know, it's all essentially like fan fiction now, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so, because of that, and because of like the way that the stories, you know, shift and change, you know, you get reboots every few years. It's all fluid. It's all mythological at this point. Fans and readers kind of have like a sense of agency in the books where you can kind of craft and create your your own stories, your own canon, I guess, of like what a character is or, you know, what 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 they mean, what their history is and means and like what that means to you. And I think that's something that's like really special and probably a big part of what keeps me coming back to to to, you know, the books and the characters that I follow. That's a great, I love that. That's like, cause something I always think about is like, I'd love to in- embark on a project where I very strictly define like, okay, this run of Supergirl is the only run that counts to me, you know? Right. And I, de- and I define that to myself and it's this super nerdy, like fantasy football thing that I, that I like to think about. And like, like Brian Q. Miller's Steph Brown Batgirl, like that is, that's Steph Brown. Anything else that happened outside of that, I almost don't recognize. You know, <laughs> right? And and you can do that, and it's and it's valid. But yeah. here, but here's what I love even more than that. I'm sorry to cut you off here, Vince. No, is no, that, no. like, all right? If you had asked me to craft like my version of the Power Girl canon. I would not have included the new 52 Power Girl, but I just read Deathstroke, which includes that, and thank God it does, and now I have to include that in my canon. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't think that there's ever a final answer because all these pieces are still on the table, and everybody is still going to be crafting them differently, you know? Absolutely. I th- oh. <sighs> That's really good, though. I mean, it, that, that analogy, the pieces on the table very evocative of, of Vince's um, smashing action figures together. And I think that's what it all comes down to is like, they, that, I mean, that's essentially what all of this is. This, these are, these are toys in a big toy box and everyone approaches them differently. Some people want different things out of them. Some people just want to bash them together. Some people want to craft these, you know, really um, in depth, life-altering stories that define them for you know the next 20 years and while those of us on this podcast obviously think that one of those things is better than the other (laughs) the the nice thing about it is that anyone can i mean it's it 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 allows for multiple approaches and people get a lot of different things out of the medium yeah I, i i think that's a really great point and i I honestly, I know I'm a pretentious asshole, and everyone's gonna I think, think I think that. We all, I think we all are. Yeah, <laughs> we've all crossed that bridge a couple of times tonight. So right, right. So, but so I don't want to like. 
I don't want to discourage people that like wondering, you know, whether Batman could beat Superman in a fight. That's that's fine. That's valid. This this is rest. Comics are wrestling. Comics and I think are. We, and I also think are wrestling. Comics are wrestling. Yes, but, yeah. but I also think that at some point, and not to cut you off again, Vince, but I feel like yeah, sure. there was probably a point in all of our lives when we did care about that. I mean, for me, it was like I remember specifically having. I, I remember sitting on the stage of my middle school and arguing with a friend about Superman versus Luke Skywalker, and my <laughs> stupid friend's argument was that. Well, there probably isn't a yellow sun where they are, so and then like you know, just being like "fuck you," it's See, so that dumb. Doesn't interest me at all. <laughs> but like, but when I was a, you, you never had that like no, in sixth not, grade, not, really? not even oh, when okay. I was a kid. Okay, that Superman versus Goku was our version of that, and I would click right by that anytime I saw it. I don't. <laughs> now, I mean, I, 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 I still like. I mean, even even in college, like, I, I'm my friend group would engage in those that sort of you know like asinine <laughs> you know who, who would win in a fight between superman and the hulk and yeah. it was it was generally uh, most of the time most of the time presented just to piss me off because i was like the only dc guy and i was also really like the only superman guy and really it was just like an attempt to like see how riled up i could get about superman because i i guess i at that point in my life i thought i needed to be a superman apologist um but but yeah well i had no friends so (laughs) uh no um well really would a would a real friend ever say anything bad about superman i don't think so (laughs) no not no friend of mine so so the thing is is that like yeah, if comics are wrestling, comics are soap operas, and that's very much my version of that. Like, I don't watch wrestling anymore, don't watch soaps anymore, you know? Like, <laughs> you I gave have, up on all my children? I had a phase with As the World Turns. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I hope but, that's true. Well, my parent, my dad used to it's come in home. It's my uh, Vince Cannon, for sure. Yeah. It is. <laughs> During the summers, my dad used to come home from work for lunch every day, and he and my mom would watch As the World Turns, and then he'd go back to work. And uh, that's that was, really sweet, actually. That that's was the sweetest, sweetest thing they've ever done together. I'll say that. Um, no, they made you, pal. Yeah, that I mean, was a mistake. That was a <laughs> cosmic mistake. I meant the physical act of making you. Okay. Cue, right. cue, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they are very uptight. So, um, no, but uh, um, anyway, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, like, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna judge anyone for for wanting to do like power level fights and whatnot. All I'm saying is, with Watchmen in particular, I just do not understand if you appreciate that comic for more than just. Rorschach is a badass. I don't understand pitting the, you know any of those characters against anyone else in that sort of way. To me, that's that's antithetical to the reasons why somebody would recognize Watchmen's greatness. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. I just fundamentally don't understand that. And um, I agree and with so, that completely. Okay. Uh, but I think that there's a big difference. Like you know. How often do you guys, it, it, once a year, do you guys get to a, a semi-major comic convention? No. Uh, I would say 
once a year generally. All right, so I'm at New York Comic Con pretty much every year. And it's always amazing to me walking around New York Comic Con because I'm I'm probably middle-aged for New York Comic Con. Right? There's not too many people who are my dad's age there, but there are certain people older than me, and there's a hell of a lot of people there younger than me. And I walk around, and I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just taking in the environment, and it seems to me like I hear way more conversations about could the Hulk kick Superman's ass than I do. Like, isn't it really interesting how X Creator is doing Y thing in Z Comic, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if if we're the minority. Oh, we are assuredly the minority. Do you think so? Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. By no, far. I, for sure, By yeah. far. 10% okay. or less, maybe. I'm, that might be overestimating it. I don't know about that. I, nah, I do. <laughs> Comic, Comic-Cons have... Uh, are, like, like, but but that that was my point. Is, 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 the, is the comic convention like a self... Uh, self uh, what's it called? Um, like a... Uh, well, it's tough because, like, to, to I mean, comic cons are becoming more mainstream. But like, to even like get up and go to a comic con, that's like a it's a commitment. Yeah, those people are the minority, and so we're in the minority of that minority. Yeah. Huh. See. Yeah, and and I get that, and I get cosplaying, and I get like imagining things with these characters, writing fanfic. I get all of that. I just don't get how it extends to Watchmen. I don't get how somebody... How somebody who read Watchmen and likes, like, understands Dr. Manhattan wonders how Superman could ever physically hold up to him. That's not what it's about. But isn't DC kind of forcing our hand to think about that? I think I think Jeff Johns in an interview is trying to tell you, look, it's not about that, and people want it. Some people want it to be about that. Johns Johns interview was very careful about saying, like, look, this isn't me just smashing my uh, Zack Snyder movie action figure with my, you know, Superman model, and you know, melting one of them on the kitchen stove. It's about something it's about something more more than that even if we're physically seeing a confrontation happen on the page and i feel like people are just like well oh, superman could never beat dr manhattan he's omnipotent and like <laughs> come on man that's that's not people like, people are dumbing that idea down in a way that dc's not i i feel like they are going out of their way to Say like, look, it's not that, because because we're trying to be careful with it. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if we have any more listeners after this episode. <laughs> um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. This is the Watchmen of the DC Three podcast, really. If you think about it, this is the this is the um, Tales of the Black Freighter, actually. <laughs> yeah. So the boring part you can't wait to get through. Got it. Oh God! I'm, I'm, well, sorry. I'm sorry I brought this up. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I think this is a good conversation. Discussed. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it was good for sure. I am going to um, say this though: uh, we have other topics discussed for news. Let's push we, all but the last one off till next week. Okay. What, Be- what was the other one? 
Uh, well, we're, we're going to talk about... Um, well, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back in just a second with more DC3Cast. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's Epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And uh, we are back with a new segment we're calling, Hey, Zach's done with school. He's buying stuff again. So, Zach, what did you buy this week? Um, So, so transitioning from when we all were were bashing uh, the idea of like superhero action figure fights i bought a game that's all about like superhero action figure fights and it's <laughs> called injustice 2 and i am enjoying it quite a lot so far more than i expected uh, we're going to get we're going to let you talk more about that in the future after you play a little bit more but sort of uh, give us a little bit of a tease here did you play injustice 1 i did play injustice 1 and how does this stack up so far? It's much better, I think. So I thought Injustice 1 was like just okay, and I hated the concept because it was like everything that I hate about like superhero comics and like specifically like Superman stuff. Um, but like this, the sequel, um, it's just like really like like on a technical level, it's really good. I don't know if like. Vince, you may have seen like the the there was like a Kotaku article talking about the facial animations. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, yes. They're like uncanny. It's really it's kind of scary, but it's uh in in a year that Mass Effect Andromeda came out <laughs> versus this. Yeah. Have you, have you seen the I've Mass seen Effect? Some of that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty scary. Yeah, this is really impressive. This feels like a like really like this this kind of has like a very cinematic feel to it and in a way that i mean it's a it is almost kind of like watching a a, like cool dc elseworlds film and you know i had kind of teased in our conversations last week i think that like the harley quinn this version of Harley Quinn is like really fun and different and interesting in some of the relationships. It's it's this feels like a cool DC Elseworlds. And so I'm I'm about three chapters into the story mode. I think I've read that there are twelve. So I got you know, I'm about a fourth of the way done. And um it's interesting. I'm I'm eager to report back. And I've also been reading the the Tyne comic, which is quite it, it's interesting. It's it's a little bit um some of it retreads things we've seen before a lot evil batman um but it, it is interesting and I, I think it's cool that tom taylor kind of you know since he really is like you know the the biggest name attached to that he has you know kind of come back to work on that yeah brian you're gonna get caught up on that yeah by next week i'll have i'll have read the first couple issues okay because i'd love to talk about that with you too zach um because i think i dig it too i have like one or two quibbles with it but um i have a lot of positive stuff to say too so cool yeah it's not it's not a thing that i ever thought that i mean i 
I I bought it just because like I have some friends who said that they were going to play it, and I'm terrible at fighting games. But I uh, there's like the gear system, which is right up my alley, um, with like all the dumb customization stuff. So um, I bought Classic it for that. gear system stuff. Oh right. man, the costumes are ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but but yeah I've, i'm surprised at like how much i've enjoyed the story stuff so far too well, i look forward to catching up and then uh real quickly we uh wanted to mention that today the first trailer dropped for the cw's black lightning series which will start uh, as a mid-season replacement in january or february of 2018 the interesting news that accompanied this is that this is not part of the arrowverse this is taking place separately from that. Now, granted, I'm sure they could do a, a crossover with, uh, you know, there's plenty of interdimensional travel on those shows. But it, if you watch the trailer, it really does strike a totally different tone than uh, than that than those other shows do. Essentially, the uh, the character is in his mid to late 40s. He's sort of a retired vigilante. And gets back into the game when his daughter is threatened, or so the trailer makes it look like. But his daughter is also going to be a superhero in the show, and she's going to be a, a similar power set and all of that. And it's it seems like it's much more about the relationship between the father and daughter, and the relationship between the uh, sort of the idea of 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 what it means to balance being a hero and being a regular person. So it looks kind of interesting. Do you guys have any interest in watching this show? I'll give it a shot like I've given everything else a shot, yeah. Yeah, same. I'm uh since it's not connected, I'm more likely to check it out because I'm like woefully behind on all the other shows. Yeah, uh, all summer, man. I know, and they're all going to come out on Netflix. I watched like two episodes of Le- Le- uh Legends of Tomorrow cuz that, you know, finished early and I uh <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. Just wait for the George Lucas episode. Uh it's terrible. Uh. Yarp. All right, well, let's um, let's dig into this week's comics. We're going to focus on two issues in particular, and then we're going to – maybe three or four issues. We'll see. But we're going to – we we talked for almost an hour about Watchmen. We're so a, a Speed Force Lightning round for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but let's, let's start off with, for the last time, we're going to say it, guys, the button. The button. So uh, this is The Flash, number 22, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Howard Porter. This is the delayed conclusion to The Bolton. And uh, let's just go sort of overall impressions of this issue. What did you guys think of it? Oh, man. Um, I may have squirted out a little tear at one point. Um when Jay Garrick showed up. Um, but I think like, wait, an I tier or, (laughs) (laughs) Zach, you rogue. No one expects Zach to be the one who made that joke either. No. Oh God. I got to collect myself now. Um, no, um, man, this was really good. I can't believe how much I enjoyed this, this, uh, this event it's like everything that that should have absolutely not worked worked and that included 
um, bringing back Jay Garrick just to take him away <laughs> again, and um, and having the little epilogue with with Doctor Manhattan again. Like, as much as I hate that idea, like, there's things about it that if we want to get into theories and whatnot, that are interesting to me. Um, well, we'll talk, we'll get it. We'll get get more in depth in a little bit. But yeah, I like this a lot. Um, Zach, what'd you think? Oh yeah, same. Um, this was so, so. I think I texted you guys when I read it. I, I said I, this comic. This was a good comic. Maybe even like a, a very good comic. Um, yeah, I mean, all the things you said. You know, Jay Garrick showing up. Um, only to yank him away the the like the the beats with Bruce at the end um, where he you know kind of like we talked about you know like him wrestling with you know potentially should or should I not be Batman anymore Um, and even and even like the epilogue stuff which in all of that the thing that kind of got me the most and it and it's only after like reading the interview with Jeff Johns the the quote at the end um, the August Strindberg um, I don't know who who that is but, but uh, the quote the quote is there are poisons that blind you and poisons that open your eyes um, just like the implications of that in light of like all the things he said about it being, current events inspired and just the idea that sometimes bad things are necessary to awaken you to you know to like greater truths and and this is all uh, very on brand for you being a pharmacist by the way how so poisons yeah i guess so yeah i guess so I, I would ho- I would think it would be on brand for other reasons, but that's can you get fine. me some LSD, Zach? Oh man, I wish. Oh okay. I'll well, take you down that Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Go see Guardians of the Galaxy two, everybody. Um, Still haven't seen it. <laughs> gosh, I hate you guys. This, this week, I love that. you both. I will. Um, anyway, anyway, um, this felt like a a good comic to me. It in even with all the the Watchmen hubbub, hubbub, hufflepuck. Brian, what did you what did you think? I, I liked it. You know, I um, and look, I I was, I think all of us were prepared for this to suck. We were hopeful. We were prepared for this to suck, and and it decidedly didn't suck. You know, um. Was I a little bit bummed out when I got five pages of Jay Garrick? Yeah, I was. Was I a little bit bummed out that there was a, uh, that nothing really, I don't want to say got answered. I, I never thought this was going to be a glyph that was going to give us all these clues or whatever, but we don't really know anything more than we did beforehand, right? They had this button, they wanted to investigate it, Reverse Flash shows up, dies, then they kind of go on this little trip where Batman meets his father. They come back, they meet Jay Garrick, he's gone, and that's it. You know, it's not really consequential, but that's okay. It was a good it was a good comic. And uh I have I have a very specific thought on the epilogue that I want to get to in a minute, but 
When do you guys think, and I'm not, I'm not saying to name an issue, how long is it before we see Jay Garrick again? Um, yeah, that's, uh, it's weird because I like my current theory is that his lightning rod is, is Johnny Thunder. Right. And we just don't know, like all of that stuff has been happening in so many different books that I can't pin down like exactly who's going to be, I still don't know who I think is going to be writing a JSA book. Can I give you guys my dream about that? Sure. Is it going to be John's? No, it's Christopher. It's Priest. Oh, Oh, Priest. Oh, that'd be be interesting. That'd be great. I, uh, I, I don't think we're going to see him again until Doomsday Clock. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to show up in Doomsday Clock. Yeah. I, I, you don't? No, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that okay. So one, I feel like the button, the button, in a number of ways was a a big misdirect for us because it gave us a little bit of the Watchmen mystery, a little bit of the JSA mystery, a little bit of the Legion mystery, but ultimately it was a story about Flashpoint. Yeah, and, and I feel like um, each of those other three threads are being picked up elsewhere. Doomsday Clock is picking up the Watchmen thing. I think someplace else is going to pick up the Legion and someplace else the JSA. See, I think it's going to be like a typical Jeff Johns thing where we have like the big splash page at the end where all the heroes that were forgotten come back and everybody's happy and then we get a big like new relaunch line. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Eggplant emoji. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you guys my question about the epilogue here. Um, do you guys have the issue in front of you? Yeah. So I think this was the detail I was kind of talking about earlier, but, uh, let's talk about it. All right. Maybe. I don't know. Um, all right. So look at, if you're looking at the left page, the nine panel grid, as opposed to the set, the eight panel grid one, look at the red of the blood uh-huh. on the bottom right hand piece. Mm-hmm. It's totally smooth. There's no cracks whatsoever. Look at all of the red on the other page, the Superman red. All of it is dented and cracked. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Oh, I thought it was just like we're zooming in on the button that has blood on it, and then it changes well, as I, you zoom back out. So obviously, that that is but really like. like uh, but I just I didn't think there was anything more to it than that. So. I have a theory about that. Okay. So, the how do I say this? The, Shut up, Brian. What, <laughs> no, what it is to me is it's Manhattan's perspective. Okay? He's picking up the button. He's looking at the button. He zooms in on it. And then the next thing he's looking at when we zoom out is Superman's chest. Okay, but that doesn't that doesn't really look like Rebirth Superman's S shield, does it? I don't I wonder, think it's not that. But you don't go think ahead. it's not that? Go ahead, you, though. I'm just thinking, what if this isn't even Rebirth Superman? 
What if it's just the Zack Snyder verse uh, showdown? No, not Zack Snyder verse, but some some Superman that's not necessarily the one we know. Something about it was a little different to me. I mean, that could just be like artists and. I, I realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, 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 I accept that. I think it'll be a little bit weird for them to spend their last month-long crossover reuniting all the Superman to only pull them apart again here. I'm not saying they're pulling them apart. No, I, 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 I recognize that. But you understand what I'm saying, though. Like they, they went through with this big okay. thing of this is who Superman is. Right. Okay, well, we'll I'm, that's just something to think about because I looked at that and I thought, like, that doesn't really strike me as the same costume that we've been seeing. See, I, I, I have a very, like, metatextual read on it. Okay, oh, go for it. All right, which is that Watchmen is this pure, like, untouched piece of artwork that exists on its own in its own little, like, hermetically sealed corner of the DC Universe. You know, for, for this exercise, we're ignoring that before Watchmen was a thing. <laughs> I think um, that's for the best. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then Superman is this thing that's dirty, that is that has been beaten up, that has good things and bad things. And it's, it's, it's the imperfection of Superman versus the perfection of the Watchmen property. That's a, that's a really good, like, literature major, um, like, like, extrapolation from the text. I wouldn't give DC, like, that much credit at all. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I do like that. That thematically, that is, like, really good. Because it's also, like kind of antithetical with how you think about it exactly yeah i like that a lot that's good but uh jeff if we're right call us up yeah yeah nothing against having the show but uh i i'll i don't know i don't i've come to not expect that level of nuance from the majority of my cape comics yeah what zach said That, that was beautiful though brian yeah that was really good DC should hire the three of us for that open Batman editor position. That is true. <laughs> like we'll we'll just we'll take one salary, but you'll get three minds. And and we'll wear a giant T-shirt that all three of us are in. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. one of us uses our right hand, one uses our left left hand, and one uses no hands at all. And we'll switch every day. <laughs> we'll like dress up as like one grown up, like together, yeah. you know, in Muppet Man. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow editors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only we're we're gigantic because well, you're already six what? <laughs> Four five ish. Yeah, and I'm, he's, I'm, he's James Comey size. Exactly, and I'm six foot. So we're we're, we're already just you know. I mean, obviously, like it, you know, someone's sitting on someone's shoulders, but we're we're instantly nine or ten feet tall at this point. <laughs> Not even adding in Vince, so we're like thirteen or fourteen feet tall. Like, hello, hello, Dan DiDio. <laughs> Wait, is... I'm only four feet tall. No, without your legs, <laughs> shoulder stacking. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. I thought we were gonna stand perfectly on one another's. <laughs> <laughs> then we're practically twenty feet tall. This is some lightning round we've got going. It is. Here. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, hire SDC. Brian at multiversitycomics.com. Uh okay, so that brings us to part two. Well, first of all, let's just let's put a pin in the button here. The button. Oh, I like what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh what's 
What's your overall impression of the crossover? 10 out of 10, uh, the costumes were... Uh, somebody pointed out to me that that uh, Reverse Flashes was actually incorrectly colored in one of the issues, so costumes oh, were not of, 10 out of 9 10. 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10, oh, yeah. bummer. You know, th- this was a really good... I-, I will look back fondly on this crossover. I-, I-, I, This is a story that I'll actually go back and read again, I think. Like, I think it was that good. Here's a question. Did it elevate Flashpoint for you, retroactively? Kind of. For me, it did. Mm, yeah, interesting. I, th- I think so too. I don't. It doesn't make me want to go back and revisit those Flashpoint comics, but it makes me think fondly about it in a way that, like, wow, I didn't hate returning to that, and I thought I would have. So I think yes. I think on the whole, it did. Now I haven't read Flashpoint in a long time. I remember at the time feeling like. I remember I I was, I was buying all the all the tie-ins, but I don't think I read all of them. Like, I feel like I was always a few weeks behind on some of the tie-ins, and I feel like I wasn't getting the full story because I wasn't reading absolutely everything. Oh, the tie-ins were all not good. But but I don't, well, some of them were good, but they were all completely unnecessary. Right, but but I also feel like but the story was was so empty for the six issues that it wasn't like. I think it was actually only five, even. Or whatever it was. But, I, it, yeah, yeah. No, I, I... I would like to kind of reread those five issues if I don't have to reread everything. I, I honestly think that, like, talking about, like, you know, Jeff Johns talking about, like, watered-down tie-ins, I think that the the just glut of tie-ins that that book had made the, the main series seem, like, seem that way. I think read on their own, it may still not be, like, a ton of story, but I think it's, like... I, I I mean it's been a while since I've read it too, but I, I f- think that if you just read those five issues, it would be more satisfying. Interesting. Yeah, I think this was very good. I'm shocked how much I enjoyed it. Absolutely shocked, I say. Well, that brings us to part two of the Lazarus contract, which is Teen Titans number eight. Written by Benjamin Percy, illustrated by Koi Pham, with layouts by Phil Hester, uh, and a script by Percy, Dan Abnett, and Christopher Priest. Um, this is part two of the Lazarus Contract. What did you guys think of this issue? Zach, let's start with you. Oh man, Slade's such a skeezball, right? <laughs> Just picking I, up kids. I love his like beaming, goofy smile throughout that scene. <laughs> it's so not Slade, but it's perfect. Um, I, I didn't like this issue as much as the, the opening chapter, I don't think, but it was still good. Vince, what'd you think? I, I like this a lot. I think, um, um, it's, it, I know what you're saying, Zach, it feels like a bridge issue to the next issue of Deathstroke, which is the third issue in this crossover. It definitely feels like a bridge to that because you're you're getting the two teams together, the two Titans teams together, which is definitely the best part of the issue. I think. Oh yeah, that was awesome. That scene on the roof was just mm-hmm. so like, again, that's like classic. That's like DC Rebirth accomplishing something right there. Yep. Bringing yep. those teams together, making the world feel bigger, um, for sure. And it's yeah, all really, cute, you know. Yeah, and really, anytime you get Dick and Damien together, it's good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, 
but I, but you know, aside from the fact that that the issue is a little utilitarian in in trying to get from one point to another, I'm just really digging this. I'm liking this more than the button, and I like the button a lot. And uh, um, it just feels like it's hard to believe that that Percy Abnett and Priest could just come together and and do this quick little. Uh, quick little crossover and and it feels true to all the different books and 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 executed in a way that doesn't short anyone i don't think so um man i'm enjoying this and again slade smiling like a little smiling like a creep trying to pick up wally weird (laughs) Uh, brian i i really enjoyed it as well uh it, it is definitely Teen Titans is the book that I think I enjoy the least of the three books in the crossover, sort of from a storyline perspective, because as we all know, I'm a huge mark for the older Titans and Deathstroke is Deathstroke, Um, but I think that Percy has a really good grip on who these characters are, and I think one of the most impressive things about this crossover in general is, and I've interviewed two-thirds of the creators so far and hopefully knock on wood we'll have a christopher priest interview coming up uh by the time you guys hear this episode it should be the day you hear it hopefully it comes up if not a couple days later but anyway everybody said just how how easy the crossover was from a uh getting along standpoint and how you know percy mentioned there was one scene that one of the other guys wrote that he felt damien's voice was slightly off and so priest said like well you you know Rewrite his dialogue, go right ahead. And I think because of the collaboration, this doesn't suffer from the crossover event where the books don't feel like themselves. Like, this still feels like an issue of Teen Titans, even though it also feels like an issue of Titans and an issue of Deathstroke. It's really impressive in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The The collaborative effort here on this one is really felt, I think, in ways that other crossovers of the silk you know we don't really see it as much i also think uh, i really i'm i'm growing to really enjoy koi fam's art on teen titans and i think he did a really nice job with this issue Mm -hmm. definitely a good match and who's the colorist on this issue um Um, i believe it's is it uh von von grabadger i believe he's the inker oh okay I believe. Oh damn! I don't know then. Yeah, yeah, you're right. he, is, uh, he is an anchor. What? What am I thinking? He, he usually inks Eminent, which is yeah. Uh, it's Jim uh, Charm Charm Lampidus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was great though. Mm-hmm. I actually think th- that that initial uh, rooftop meeting when each of the characters are kind of lined up against each other, the coloring on the Titans and the Teen Titans is very very different. And I think it, it does a really nice job of illustrating kind of the, the tone of the teams at that point. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, I also like that you know, one of the knocks I think on Dick Grayson sometimes is that Dick's a character that that rarely makes mistakes that impact other people. And it seems here like, you know, whatever this deal he made with Slade is, is something that is a regrettable choice for him. And I'm glad to see him making a mistake now and then. Yeah. I'm excited to see where this goes, guys. Yeah, me too. All right. Another, oh, another thing I wanted to oh, sure. out was the, um, 
the scene of the uh, the younger Teen Titans like training in Titans Tower, where like Starfire's like flipping through those rings. It was very like X Men Danger Room young Teen Titans team. You know, it was it was just a, just this fun little scene where you see them all training in the tower, and and I appreciated that too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so may I call an audible here? Yeah. I'm going to pick out four books we're going to talk about. The rest we're going to give one-sentence descriptions of. Oh, boy. So, um, are you guys cool with that? Yeah. All right. So we're going to start alphabetically, and and I'll say if if it's a one-sentence or if it's a a full here. So we're going to go with Aquaman 23. This is a one-sentence review. Um, Vince, go right ahead. Uh, Immediately better than the last arc. I'm much more interested in the... um them trying to overthrow Arthur than I was in whatever was happening before. Zach. Yeah, same. Better. I'm going to say better and Scott Eaton's back. <laughs> and he's good again. He, he is good again, <laughs> yes. Oh! <laughs> uh, Batman number 23. We're going we're gonna to talk about this one. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Written by Tom King. Illustrated by Mitch Jarrods. Uh, the Brave and the Mold. I, I have a question to sure. leave this off. Sure. Aim primarily at Vince. Okay. <laughs> if this issue had not been preceded by Batman issues 1 through 20, how would you have responded to it? That is a great question. That is Holy, a great question. Holy crap, Zach! You should you should have let you should have leaked that to me a little earlier. I, <laughs> I need to think about this. Um, uh, Talk while you think about it. Yeah, go. Okay. Um, so I think the worst part of this book by far is that King thinks that because it worked in the Omega Men, that songs sung by characters repeatedly <laughs> is a good trope for a comic. That's the worst part of this issue. Everything else in this issue is the best Tom King Batman we've gotten so far. Yeah, I I pretty much I agree with that. I thought that this issue, um, I thought this issue had some of the kind of like Tom King Batman tropes that we've seen. You know, a lot of repetition. He also like leans really heavily on the nine panel grid, which. You know, Watchmen is on our mind right now, but he did that a lot with Beginda and Omega Men too. So it's not just that. Um, I thought, I thought um, Swamp Thing's dad looked eerily like Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, think that's unintentional. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I but I liked the chapter format of the issue. I thought it gave it like a really good flow and and just stylistically was was good. Um, I thought that the like implication of, and so I th- I know we'll get into this, you know, f- conversations we've already had, kind of um, King's propensity to to kind of get really like, um, sometimes he he seemed like he writes and it and it seems more like enlightened or or important than it it really is, and I know that was like. A, a critique Vince had, but I think that in light of both the the end of the Bane arc and the button, this kind of um, 
you know, Swamp Thing kind of presenting the possibility that that Bruce's parent that life and death aren't so cut and dry that maybe there's something that he doesn't know about and then he just like doesn't tell him and how how batman responds to that i thought that all rang extremely true and and was a really good follow-up to both of those stories so vince you have your answer yet yeah i do okay so this is the best issue of tom king batman comic that we've gotten yet i agree with that um it would have made me because i haven't seen yet how he's written batman with this like faux nourish dialogue which is like noir dialogue that's not even really good noir dialogue uh because because i wouldn't have 20 issues of that to worry about um i probably wouldn't i probably wouldn't think anything of this i'd just think oh okay this is you know now if it were 20 issues again of this sort of dialogue um like i I don't think this dialogue is that much better than what we've been dealing with is what I'm oh, saying. I think I think it's a lot better, but yeah. that's I, there's no bat cat. There's none of that. But there's but, no mother. But, but that stuff that you were talking about about Swamp Thing, like suggesting to Batman something about death, and then sort of betraying that for him, and then being real cagey about it. To me, that's so underwritten to the point where like you can see the gears turning. Where Tom King's like, okay, I'm gonna make this really. I'm going to make this dialogue really minimalist in a way that these two characters are talking about something that they couldn't possibly understand what one another is really saying. And neither can the reader. It's going to be written in this really underwritten minimalist way to be like purposefully mysterious. And yet somehow these two characters are having a, like nobody has a conversation like this is what I'm saying, you know? And, um, I feel like writers think that this is naturalistic dialogue when they do it like this, but like really nobody has a conversation like that. Nobody says like when, when he's like, I, I, when Swamp Thing's like, I realize why I'm here. And so I don't have to be here anymore. And then he like disappeared. Like that's not, people don't well I talk about like that, you know, my, like, my like contrarian, devil's advocate rebuttal to that would be that like swamp thing is not like a human mind sure but i feel like he writes every character like that okay okay that's what i'm saying that's fair yeah so like (laughs) i get that for swamp thing he can be a little cagier because he has lived this life that's unlike anyone else's you know he's lived this life in the green that yeah he he has a different level of like uh, of experience and enlightenment and his perception is different it's like Dr. Manhattan talking to somebody. I was just going to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, it is. So I get that. But but having, you know, so like I said, like, because I haven't had 20 issues of this, I might not think anything of it. But because we've had 20 some Tom King issues of this sort of dialogue, to me, it reads the same as when Batman is talking to Catwoman and they're barely talking in sentences. And but it doesn't come out. It doesn't come off like they have some sort of natural rapport that they understand one another. It just comes off as pretentious. So without the benefit of having, you know, a year's worth of stories, sure. I might not have thought anything of that. I liked a lot about this issue. I liked, um, 
the part where Swamp Thing shows up growing off of the like moss or whatever on that yeah. rock and like he pops up behind Batman and Gordon and Gordon loses his pipe. There was a lot of stuff yeah. that Mitch Jarrods did with the art that was really clever. The like, art was Al- really good. It was really good. And like Alfred running around cleaning up after Swamp <laughs> yeah, Thing. It was he great. Goes, wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Guy Fieri's pawn shop was awesome. <laughs> um, uh, kite, the Kite Man stuff, very funny, good. I like it. Um, it's just, just a, you know, that dialogue is still problematic to me. And I think it's just... Even the fake name of the building is so overwrought. What, what was it? like? It was like Lynn... Wine, it was like Wine... It's Wine, wine Rights and Tower. Okay. Go with yeah. one. Go with one or the other. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> he did, did... Wasn't this edic- uh, this issue dedicated to Wrightson, too? Yeah, so let's make yeah. it Wrightson. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just... And then he, he like, says it two or three times, yeah. and it's like, it's like, okay, like, if you couldn't spot that it was a reference to, you know, two creative people... He lives in the co-creator suite. <laughs> he lives in... He lives on the... Uh, John's Lee DiDio floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, um, I mean, there was a lot I liked about it, but still that dialogue just like kills me. Like, and then, and then Batman is still also like, okay, Vince, Vince Ostrowski is a person of contrasts. We're going to say, because I both like and hate this aspect of the comic. It's the same thing. It's how Batman is, like, so obsessed with his parents that he's, like, first of all, he's mad at Swamp Thing for killing the murderer, which was an awesome scene, and that's a perfect Batman reaction. Yeah, that was the best Batman has been in this comic. It was the most Batman thing that's happened. I agree. And it also plays in subtly, not, not, not overtly, but subtly into this idea that even though this comic is not connected, even though this issue is not connected to the button overtly, because the button is in our minds, I'm also thinking about like, well, Batman's on the verge of like not responding to the signal, right? So does this struggle, does seeing Swamp Thing murder somebody further question what it's all for? And also this idea that, you know, Swamp Thing is is saying that stuff about life and death, but then he straight up murders somebody and then and then won't explain to Batman what he means about, um, you know, fall, falling into life and his parents. And Batman has hope and that those hopes are dashed again, you know. Does this all play into Batman's overall feeling about being a hero, being Batman, you know? I find that really interesting. And I think that if Tom King continues to build on that, this is a really subtle example that just feeds into that, even though it doesn't overtly mention that, Agreed. Yeah. At the same time, I I do feel like Tom King's Batman is like, okay, we've had Batman for seventy five years, and this is the most obsessed he's been with his parents' death, like ever. You know, in a way that is almost still too much. You know what I'm saying? Like going back to the issues of Tom King's Batman, where he's like, uh, mother. He's like talking to his mother. You know. It's just so over the top and it continues to be, you know, like not that he should have, he's Batman. It's what's, it's what made him. He shouldn't entirely move past it. I just feel like King's particular take on Batman is 
so obsessed with what, with the legacy of his parents and what they think and that they're gone and he's still miserable I, about it, you know? I, so, so in response to that, and I, I know we need to move on, I think a part of me is still kind of like holding on like, like a trying, wanting to give King the benefit of the doubt here that it's all going to work out and it's all going to be really good. Um, but I, so I would think, so in light of that, what if this is like, and I, oh man, again, I'm contradicting myself because I'm like giving DC more credit, but, um, what if this is kind of in response to the fixation on like replaying the crime alley scene in every comic, you know, like fixating on the parents' death and the falling pearls and the, that imagery. Say that again. So, so what if his King writing Batman as this, you know, really like, he he's so obsessed with his parents' death and and uh-huh. his relationship and everything. What if what if that is like a response to how DC comics properties in general are obsessed with replaying the crime alley scene? Yeah, I I guess my problem with that is I don't really get I don't really get how that addresses it. You know what I'm saying? Right, it does. Well, it, it hasn't yet. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is my okay, hope you're... is that maybe that's what it's trying to, maybe by over like hyper realizing everything. Okay. Also, I just forgot that we didn't talk about hyper. I had the same thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> back, it's good again. Time is back. Um, maybe by like hyper, hyper, you know, doing that so hyperbolically, you. You can like finally get away from that. It never will, though. That's like that's you know the crowbar. You're never gonna get away from the crowbar. You're never gonna get away from Krypton exploding, whatever. Yeah. So I'll um, say the same thing that you said to Brian about. Yeah, that's why I was saying I'm, yeah. I'm being a hypocrite. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I, I like, want to like, like this. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I get it. Like I do too, and I really did. Like if you asked me to grade this issue, I'd give it like a you know, 6.5 or 7, where, whereas I've been giving King Bat books, like, the trashiest grades imaginable in my head, you know, because I've just, I've hated it so much. So I didn't, I didn't hate this. I, in fact, I quite liked it. It's just that there's still these couple of things that are holding this book down for me. You know this, you know this issue's going to get nominated for an Eisner, right? I, sure, yep. Or it's something. Gonna, it's, it's definitely going to, I guarantee it. Uh, how much want to put on that? Oh man, I don't know. I don't have any money right now. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, how did we not mention Hypertime, by the way? Hypertime is back. No idea how we didn't mention that. That's huge. Yeah, where's that's... Mark Wade right now? Off Twitter, unfortunately. You're right. We can't get his response. <sighs> man, I can email Mark him if you want. Back. I interviewed if, him one time. What if Mark Wade comes back? Oh God. What if that's the the long I... game of rebirth? <laughs> what if Mark Wade is? What if Mark Wade is writing JSA? Oh gosh! Uh, eggplant emojis left and right. <laughs> happy, happy tears. Happy, yes, happy tears. <laughs> those happy tears are sad. Are those happy <laughs> tissues or sad tissues? Yeah. Oh boy! All uh, right. Uh, Batwoman number three is a one sentence one. I know it's a good issue, but 
Uh, Zach, start us off. Uh, this is yeah, this is still really good. Uh, Steve Epting, man, bodies on this book. Yeah. Vince, uh, incestuous flowers in the attic, twins. <laughs> nice, Paul. Uh, I'll go with holy shit, Steve Epting, because that was really good. Uh, Cave Car says the cybernetic eye number is this number eight already? Number eight? It might be. Yeah, 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 number eight. Um, one sentence on this one. I'll start with this one. I have to find. You know, actually, I have to find the page I want to reference. So, Vin, start with this one. Cave's daughter plugging Jack's wound with a tampon. Uh, mine is related to that. Hang on. Uh, go ahead, Zach. Uh, mine is young animal Captain Marvel, please. Yeah. Uh, my sentence is Ant Flows Country Tampons. <laughs> that was the <laughs> that was the brand of the tampon. Nice. Uh, so good. This book continues to be great. Uh, one sentence on Green Arrow number twenty-three, Zach. Uh, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> um. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Roy, Roy and Cheshire getting it on. Oh yeah, baby. Yep. Back in continuity. One one sentence. Yeah. Um. This is the second time that Ben Percy has referenced. The or did his version of the Blade Runner Tears in the Rain imagery in this very series. <laughs> <laughs> Emmy's not crying, it's just been raining on her face. Yeah. Um I'll go with still don't love this book, but it's consistently okay. Yeah, it's 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 good. Yeah. It's good. Consistently okay. I, I, I again I never thought Percy's stronger book would be Teen Titans, but Agreed. But they're both good, so it's yeah. fine. Uh one sentence for Green Lanterns number twenty three. Uh there came a time when the old gods died. <laughs> yeah, how did you feel about this? I am gonna break this in I'm gonna interview Zach for a second here. How did you feel about this, Zach? Uh so there were this comic was basically two halves. Uh, two different. It was two different comics, and this is very much in line. This felt like a, a Jeff Johns Green Lantern comic, only not not as good. Um, but the 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 old god stuff and that kind of like world building is not quite, but eerily similar to the kind of stuff that made me like fall in love with Johns Green Lantern run. So this issue like wasn't a total wash for me. Okay, Vince. Can I have more than one sentence? Sure. I actually really liked this issue. <laughs> like a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm as I'm as gobsmacked as you are, but I can't I, believe this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, what, what, what I, I thought it was like hot along garbage. The same lines of what I said or is it is it different or Yes. Okay. Oh, no, okay. it's it, what you said, Zach, and it's more than that. You thought it was hot garbage? <laughs> I did not like this issue, no. Oh, my God. I thought, okay, I thought the 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 um, the stuff with uh, with Jess and Guy was a little overdone. That was the worst part of the issue. Yeah, but... and they have to stop making Guy Gardner be punched in the face. We get it. It's a fucking <laughs> reference to Batman, 
and Justice League International. Let they it go. really just need to stop having Guy Gardner, period. But that's yes, at least like this. Yep, yep, yep. But yep, uh, 100%. But Kyle versus Simon was uh, a delight, I thought. Yeah, and like I they're agree. Play- yeah, that was a delightful scene. I thought all the, the new gods of the third world stuff and the, the, the quote-unquote first Green Lantern uh, was very interesting. I thought it was uh, – beautifully drawn those scenes yeah the art in this issue is really good i think yeah was, uh, it was Eduardo Eduardo Pensier, Pensier. Yeah, yeah. and he's like upping his game for sure um the but the one moment with jess and kilowog was like so heartwarming like that was know. the best scene in the book by far also like don't you like the emerald the emerald star thing that's like another like that's gonna be a thing later. That's They're a gonna very find Johnsian it. thing. And, yeah, the, and this, yeah, yeah, and just like very earnestly being like, "Is that real?" You know, like there was a sense of wonder in this issue that, like, now it makes me wish that before the before Rebirth, I wanted a Green Lantern book set on Earth where it wasn't all this galaxy uh, spewing colors in the stars sort of shit, but. Having seen this, like I wish they would have just started here, like bringing them into the core, the the core, and like having them train, and having them be in awe of everything that's going on. Like this really worked for me a lot better than anything that's come before. And um, the scene where like Kyle makes all the constructs of himself, and it's all the different Kyle Rayner costumes throughout the years. Like this issue was packed with so much good stuff to me. Yeah, even and even I, like the Raimi. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You finish. Finish what you're saying. I thought you were finished. No, I was done. Yep. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, even like the Raimi First Lantern nonsense wasn't awful. See, I I give so few fucks about that that I tuned out of most of the issue because of it. Like, I, I, my eyes perked up at the, at the phrase old gods, new gods, third world, fourth world. My eyes picked up at that, but I was glazed over thoroughly by that point. It was who gives a shit about that? Oh, God, I could not care less about Volthoom if, if I don't know what, I, I, I do not care. And I thought that the, uh, the guy just stuff was shit. I thought the Simon Kyle stuff had the potential to be interesting, but wasn't. The most interesting thing was all Kyle's different costumes showing up again. But there was no interesting dialogue there. There was no interesting character building. It was an interesting concept that wasn't developed worth a shit. Uh, the Kilowog scene was good. That's it. I I uh, I think Humphreys is really good when when this comic is good. It's when he's like really channeling that you know like primetime Johnsian vibe, but he never quite nails the dialogue to match it. Yeah, I, I, yes, I can agree with that. Yep. All right, uh, Vince, did you page through Harley Quinn? Um, uh, I did. Anything so, to report? Um, yeah. At at one point, um, the Joker basically busts out a Father John Misty song to like, <laughs> uh, appeal to Harley. They're like, he hot wires a massage bed, uh, so that it's free and they don't have to put coins in it, which was kind of a nice Joker moment. Um. And then they're like laying on the bed, and he's talking about how the world is a a cosmic joke, and only he he felt he feels like only he could see it, and 
he's about to tell Harley that he loves her, and then she falls asleep. And it's actually kind of a like the backup kind of came around again for me. It's the Joker loves Harley stuff. It it's actually kind of sweet in that stupid Joker Harley way. <laughs> like I don't know. It's it was fine. I'm trying to find a DC bombshell that I can rhyme with source wall to uh, <laughs> rip off Total Entertainment Forever. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave that be for now. Yeah. Um, all right, Justice League number 21. One sentence. I'll start. Best issue so far. Oh. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's the best issue so far. No. Not even. I, I, no, I would agree with that. I think this for me, this issue was um, like when on the Simpsons, when they talk about Poochie uh-huh. and they say, when the justice league isn't around, everybody should be asking, where's the justice league? Because half of this issue spends time with characters that nobody gives a shit about just random, like some... but you got real human drama there, man. Oh God. No. Oh. So, so here, but the, the, the bearing the lead here, we get, a Starheart century, very tangential Alan Scott reference here. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. What if Hitch is writing JSA and oh. and Legion of Superhero? <laughs> I just threw up my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I um, see this to me. See, was Vincent, not like... I, I think this would be different for you if chad was your boss and not your wife's trainer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah Yeah. that's a deep twitter joke folks (laughs) uh i'm a cuck (laughs) uh justice league power rangers number four one sentence zach Oh, wait, I didn't read this. I haven't read the last few issues. Okay, Vince? We haven't talked about it in a while, have we? I think we did. I thought I, we missed it. It's been issue. super delayed. Yeah, I think it was delayed, and that's oh, why. Oh, okay. No, okay, well, I didn't read it. Well, it was delightful, and the Power Rangers disguised themselves as various DC superheroes, which was a really fun moment. Yes, super fun. Uh, I was going to say, this is the most fun Justice League book in, in uh, Rebirth. This team should be doing a proper Justice League book. Yes, they should. Instead of the real JL title. It's funny. This is Tom Taylor, right? Yeah. Yep. It's funny that he can do this and Injustice. Yep. And we'll talk about it next week, but I feel like Injustice is also proof that he should be writing a regular Justice League book. Interesting. It almost it almost is one. Yeah. Um, Nightwing 21. We're going to talk about this one a little bit more because this is a fill-in issue. Yeah, kind uh, of a I was not one. aware that Celie was not writing an issue of Nightwing. Me either. And I, I follow that stuff pretty closely. So this must have been a, sort of a, a late addition to the... Uh, or a late change, rather. But it was written by uh, Michael McMillan and illustrated by Christian Duce. Uh, this was a Wally Dick issue. What did you guys think of this? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it was... um, It was good. Um, It felt like it was a little bit out of time. Yes. Like, it felt like a throwback. And they kept making references to being old school. 
And so it it was a little weird in that way because it was a it was very different from uh, the voice that Tim Seeley uses for the book. But I don't think it was bad I, because of that. I think it was a really good issue. Um, it it was just different, so it was a little bit of an adjustment mentally. But I, I, I hey, Wally and Dick palling around, I, I love it. Yeah, agreed. Um, I uh, I sort of like the one and done villain here. It was it was a fun issue. It was. Um, it didn't feel. It didn't feel not like Dick and Wally, and I was afraid when I when I first started and I saw it wasn't going to be Sealy. I was like, "Oh, this isn't going to feel like the like like the classic characters." But it did. It felt it felt just like them, so it was good. Yeah. Do Do you guys know anything about uh, Michael McMillian? I don't, not at all. Do you? He yeah, he's actually an actor and a writer. Really? Yeah, he's been on uh, True Blood and who is he on True Blood? Uh, Steve. Refresh my mind on who Steve was. I I'm not really like a. Okay, I, I watched the first. I've watched episodes of it, but Aaron watches watched it, so I, I've seen a fair amount of them too. But I don't know who Steve is offhand. Okay, he's on uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend as well, as well as some other shows and movies. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, and and but he's also written a comic book before, I guess. So he has kind of an in there as well. So. Seems like a fairly talented guy. I mean, he did a pretty good job on this. So yeah, absolutely. Um, one sentence on Super Sons number four, Zach. Very good, Vince. Uh, Alfred is officially Batman's wife. <laughs> uh, my one <laughs> sentence is the Brave and the Bald, which is the name of the next issue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how good was Luther in this? Uh, so good. Oh, so good. This this series is great. Tomasi has that shitty teenage banter down so well. Yep. And the reason I say Alfred is Batman's wife is because at the end, like, Lois and Alfred <laughs> come to scold the kids instead of... Yeah, because they're the brave and the bald, yeah. Yeah, instead of Lois and Batman's... Well, Alfred is Batman's wife, so there you go. Yeah. Husband. Yeah. Husbando. <laughs> Husbando. Uh... Superman number 23, one sentence, uh, Vince. Um, Lois, Lois lost a leg and Superman cauterized it. Gosh, man, what a dark Superman comic. But it still felt like Superman. Yeah. This, this was a really, this was a, this is an arc now feels a lot more important than it did at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's also like, so I thought about, so this is, you know, we, we finally get the, the Manchester black, the elite stuff, you know, kind of stretching back to, you know, dating back to the, what's so funny about truth, justice in American way, which was a response to the authority, which, you know, I feel like, a lot of you know that wild storm stuff the the gritty realism deconstruction can be traced directly back to watchmen um mm-hmm. so yeah it uh, maybe i'm just making connections where there aren't connections but it seems 
that like what Tomasi's doing in this book is very important for potentially like what we're going to see in Doomsday Clock. I don't disagree with that. Um, all right. I'm going to let you, because I, I have two sentences about this book. So I'm going to let everyone have two for Trinity number nine. Uh, can I give my two sentences first? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, number one, better than Justice League. Like, this is a better Justice League book than Justice League is. Uh-huh. Number two, why isn't Batman dead? He wasn't wearing a mask in space. <laughs> they're on, like, the blown-out parts of the of the Watchtower, and they're floating, and he doesn't have an oxygen mask on, and he's cool. Spaceship science thingy magic. <laughs> uh, I believe Scott Snyder's Batman would say... Because I'm Batman. Yeah, he would, wouldn't he? This uh, this issue kind of out out hits Justice League's hitches Justice League. This is like that same kind of story. Yeah. This feels like an issue of that. Only the art is better, and the the villain at the end looks all cool and sci-fi. Yep. I thought it was a pretty good issue, though. It was okay. It was um, it was not as bad as a Hitch Justice League issue, but it was that same vein where it's like there's this big crisis, and yet it doesn't feel as urgent as I think it's supposed to. Yeah. And but the art was gorgeous. I love the way he draws Barry, and um, well, anything. I love the way he. I love the way Manipul draws anything, but particularly Barry and um. And uh, Wonder Woman, and um, it was—it almost felt like it completely ignored the non-manipul issues of Trinity. It, like it just didn't feel that way. That is what happened. It, yeah, it picked right up from the White Mercy. Like, like they mentioned White Mercy, and I was like, oh, the, he's just pretending like it, like he was always the writer on this. Yeah, and which is fine. Which I is mean, fine. because the, those other issues of Trinity were essentially, you know, just like it's kind of like a thing that DC used to do where you would have like almost like issues of another series show up in another series, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like weird little tie in issues that completely inconsequential to the plot of that book. They clearly go with other things. Yeah. They just had to get it published somewhere or whatever. All right. Uh, last book of the week. The Wild Storm number four. We can we can talk as much as we want about this. Oh man, man. Henry Bendix. <laughs> what a fun what a fun take on that character. Somewhere yeah. he, somewhere he's got an angry dome that he goes into. <laughs> uh, th- this this continues to be great. Yeah, it's a slow burn. And it's especially interesting of a slow burn because it's only a twenty-four issue maxi series, and so I was I would have expected there to be more happening by this point, but I'm so happy there's not. I'm just really enjoying hanging out in this world for a bit. Yeah, like I'm I'm really admiring how the, the I said this in comics comics should be cheap this week, but like this is the way to do decompressed storytelling without pissing me off because um 
this book relishes the quiet moments that it has and it uses even though it's decompressed it uses every moment and every scene to in an additive fashion you know i think i've said before on the show that um you know four scenes of aquaman swimming doesn't tell you anything about the story or the character or whatever and so that's a waste when that was happening over in john's book but in the wild storm Anytime the story sort of slows down for some quiet moments, it's always telling you something about the story or something about the characters. Absolutely. So when, yeah, so like, like when, uh, when we're, whenever we're seeing like Angela going from one place to another, it's telling you something about how isolated and like, ungrounded she feels right now and like she's got no home she's got nowhere to go really because she's got this like essentially stolen tech inside of her and you feel that in the way that this art sort of portrays it over several pages you know um this is the way to do it you know i mean this is ellis is like operating on all cylinders here and so is John Davis Hunt. My God. This art. I love somebody hating Earth because everything farts on it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. He was such a fun character. Like, Bendix comes in and he's like the ultimate bastard, angry at like the people that work under him. And then he gets he gets in the room alone with his like assistant. And while he's still clearly a bastard and a curmudgeon and a racist and a homophobe, apparently, um, he's called at one point. Yep. Um, he's more he's he he becomes a fun character behind closed doors. Like, it's fun to watch him lament society and humanity and and the way that he interacts with his assistant is very playful and fun. So, I like the sort of unexpected turn there. Yeah, he exactly. He's a bastard, but like he, he's not. He's not even like he's not lovable. He's just. He's not lovable. He's just fun to watch. Right. He's like right. fun to observe. Yeah. Yeah. Like Larry David. I had to get our si- our weekly Seinfeld reference in there, so <laughs> everything is, farts. Is... Everything farts down there. Yeah, exactly, Cheryl. <laughs> you won't believe it. I was walking down the street and they farted on me. Hang on, you're Larry. I'm Jeff Garland. Go ahead. Okay, Jeff. Jeff, I went to the bank the other day. You went to the bank the other day, and uh, I went. To, I went to the bank. I was going to the bank. Okay, some business. And you would. Everybody in line was farting on me. They were farting. They were farting, farting up the whole bank. They weren't farting. They were absolutely farting. How do you know? When was the last time you went to the bank? When I when did I go to the bank? This is turning into a. Well, that's, a, that's, 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 that's all, all Jeff Garland does is repeat what Larry David no, says. I, that's my I point, know. So, I, yeah. I know. I get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then his wife comes in and says, "You fat, fat fuck." Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> The aristocrats. Oh, Susie Essman. Okay. 
Anyway, that does it for this sprawling, weird episode of the DC3 cast. Hope you guys like allotted two hours or so to listen to us talk, because here we are. Um, but really, thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Go to multiversitycomics.com for all of your Lazarus contract needs. Like I said, uh, there's interviews with Dan Abnett and Ben Percy up there. Hopefully we'll have Christopher Priest up in a couple days. A two-parter with Christopher Priest at that. The first part about the Lazarus contract, second part about his Deathstroke run uh, as a whole so far, and going into year two. Um, and you can find lots of other great reviews, news, commentary, etc. on there. Uh, you can also find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, next week we'll talk Injustice, we'll talk some Kirby stuff, and uh, we'll see what else happens. So until then, enjoy your week, and uh, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> I, had nothing, I had nothing, guys, sorry. Here, Vince, still close this out. Close. I'm still thinking about Larry David. Okay. Well, okay. Then, oh, wait. Give close, us your close good... this out. Close yeah. this out. Hold yeah. on. Bomb. <laughs>